Well, this is a more somber mobile chicane podcast, I think, following uh, the uh, black weekend we had with regards to motorcycle racing this past weekend. And uh, so, um, yeah, this will be more subdued. A lot of, lot of discussion, I think. Uh, but actually no fewer than six deaths this past weekend due to motorsport-related events. Two at the Bayer 500, and we had three at the Isle of Man, as well as then uh, Louis Salom uh, at Catalonia this past weekend as well in the Moto2 class. But, uh, yeah, so um, I suppose the big question is, or the big thing is, is to discuss, uh, obviously people will discuss the accident. They've actually had... Um, an investigation with regards to this as well. Team uh, um, SAG uh, who uh, had Louis Alon riding for them, and they uh, did their own um, did their own investigation. They had their engineers. They had um, so do do they have the telemetry live or do they have to get it afterwards? Well. They they go along. They check the data that they have. I mean, they have the telemetry. Um, they obviously investigated it. Um, they obviously knew that this a full investigation would have to be conducted anyway. Because from what I saw, that bike was going at a hell of a rate of knots. It was, uh, but it there are very interesting things that came out of this. Now, Jesko Ruffin is a, a Swiss Moto Two rider. Um, he's part of the team as it transpires, um, having his debut World Championship season in Moto Two. And uh, he was part of the investigation along with the engineers. And uh, what actually happened was is that the previous lap, uh, Louis Salon posted his fastest lap. He came in through to the pits, put on a new rear tire, and then came out. This accident that happened happened on his out lap. It wasn't a flying lap. Okay. When he went through into um, turn 11, um, which is the corner before he had his accident, he was listed as traveling six kilometers per hour slower than his fastest lap, which had been the one before he pitted. Uh, but as a result, he went in deeper into turn 12, and he braked later as a result. Now, there's apparently a bump in turn 12 that is well known to the riders, and generally, when they go through that corner and they're busy, um, they, they're leaning through, uh, the, they release the brake in time for that bump. So there's no, um, no braking by, by the time it reaches that point. But because Salom was trying to gain more speed from his outlap, he was actually touching the brake when he hit that bump. Okay. And that is now what is seen as the reason that the bike tucked in and he went down. Mm. So, yeah, look, I mean, um, motorsport is dangerous. And I think these riders, um, everybody is aware of the fact that the danger that this can cause. Nonetheless, this doesn't go along and uh, uh, make the tragedy and, and the heartache and the pain, particularly for the family members and loved ones, any less. Mm. So, uh, Louis Salom went out at the tender age of 24, and uh, he died doing the things that he loved, and uh, we salute him. 
and uh, he actually won uh, nine Moto3 races um, and managed through to, to the uh, runner-up position in the World Championship a couple of years back. He was Brad Binder's teammate. So, of course, uh, Brad also felt a lot of uh, pain. I mean, there, there are a lot of people that have, uh, were close friends with, with uh, uh, Luis Salom, also known as El Mexicano. And um, so, of course, everybody was... Um, the, the entire podium for all classes wore the We Will Always Remember You um, Luis Salom uh, t-shirts, which I thought was really cool. And, um, of course, everybody carrying the stickers then on their helmets and on their bikes. Mm. However, it being motorsport, the show has to go on. Now, the first question is, why did they change to the Formula One layout? Because of the fact that uh, they, at the end, the Formula One layout has a chicane at the end of this, the, the, the circuit okay. at, at that area. So basically, the riders, um, they had a safety commission meeting, obviously, um, and changes were made. Um, there were actually a number of accusations that flew out there as well, uh, which we'll touch on. But um, so as a result, um, the, they actually felt that the current layout of Turn 12, um, they felt was unsafe, so it had to be changed. So... So uh, they introduced the uh, chicane then as a means of a safety measure so that they could continue racing for this weekend. The riders then all agreed that they would continue. As it transpires, Louis Salon family also encouraged them to continue. So um, it was, uh, um, I think it's where, where MotoGP now finally goes along and stands together again as a family. It, uh, this generally happens, uh, particularly in tragic circumstances and, and so the, the weekend continued. Of course, it's also uh, in Spain, and of course, um, Salon himself being a Spaniard, but there are hordes of Spaniards there, and uh, there was a massive turnout the weekend as well, something like 176,000 people that turned up for the weekend, which considering the country is economically challenged, this is, this is really very good for the circuit and good for MotoGP um, and, and for, for Spain from this perspective. But uh, yeah, so um, but yes, the safety commission, as it transpires, out of the twenty-one MotoGP riders on the grid, only ten of them actually turned up at the safety commission meeting. I was wondering about this because they only they showed the names, and I was thinking, well, are they chosen or is it just a, no? It's open. It's open to everybody. And um, Paul Espargro um, is is avidly and uh, actively involved, along with Bradley Smith. Both of them Tectoir riders. Both of them have shifted uh, and are, are going to be riding the Works KTM next year okay. in MotoGP. Um, and um, they were openly critical of the two Works Yamaha riders because neither of them were present um, at the uh, safety commission meetings. And um, both of them had something to say about the layout being used, and of course, um, so uh, yeah, that left them being open to to attack and criticism for the fact that they actually do not turn up at the safety commission meetings. So um, yeah, Rossi hasn't turned up at a safety commission meeting since his fallout with the Mark Marquez in Malaysia last year, and uh, so. Following the makeup that happened in Park Ferme afterwards, um, um, he actually said that he would uh, make an 
active effort to to be at the safety commissions in future. So we'll see what happens. Okay. But yes, so um, that was that. The um, the MotoGP race itself, I think, was um, a pretty impressive one. Mm. Let's just note that we start with MotoGP first because the most exciting things happen in Moto3. Sure. I mean, we, we have to, uh, you know, everybody sees MotoGP as the premier class. I think uh, where all the action happens is in the Moto3 class and uh, particularly for the likes of us uh, seeing how... Uh, a rider that we've been following ever since before the Red Bull rookie days is now coming through to the front and is leading the World Championship is obviously something that we would uh, spend a lot of time on. Yeah. So MotoGP first then. So MotoGP first and um, yeah it was uh, Jorge Lorenzo who made a, a fantastic start. He moved his way through to the front of the field. Uh, Rossi did not make such a good start. He got pinched in into the into the group and actually dropped back to eighth place. And, um, yeah, it was a very, very interesting uh, um, first few laps in the way how everybody was jostling and, and carrying on for position. But what was particularly interesting was uh, where one would have thought that Lorenzo would have walked away with it because generally Lorenzo was very, very strong leading from the front. When he gets through to the front, he bashes in the fast laps, he pulls the gap, and there is nobody that can generally touch him. He, many of his races are won in this way. And, and then he's peerless, utterly peerless. It looked like that this was going to be the same. Unfortunately uh, for him, he ended up having uh, a, quite a bit of graining with his front tire. So after six laps, he started falling back. Okay. So Rossi was working his way through to the front and he was working hard and he managed to work his way up through into second position ahead of the, of the two Repsol Hondas and Maverick Vinales. Um, Vinales was actually quite heavily involved there in a battle with Danny Pedrosa um, and it looked like that he may get through but Pedrosa I thought was, it was encouraging to see how he fought back. He's now just signed a contract with Honda for another two years. So, um, and one would have thought, okay, uh, this is all due to the fact that he wants to go along and just see out his days and his chances are over. But uh, he's as feisty as ever. Um, How old is he now? I think he's 30. Okay, so getting on. Yeah, he's getting on. Um, but he's definitely still as feisty as ever. He's got the fight in him. And uh, he fought really hard to keep Maverick uh, behind him and he managed to do so successfully. So I think this was really great. What I found also really nice is, is that um, uh, Honda actually kept him on because of the fact that he is such a team player and because of the fact that he provides excellent feedback when testing. So um, apparently, uh, and even Mark Marquez himself has gone along and said that uh, Pedrosa's feedback with regards to the development of the bike is, is, is really very important. So. This is uh, not a, a, how can you say, a publicly known trait. And uh, this is obviously something that needs to be made far more well known to fans so that they can actually realize his, um, uh, his contribution to Honda and, and why they find him such an asset. Nonetheless, um, he was running on a medium rear tire. All the others were running on hard rear tires, barring... Um, the two Tectoy Yamahas, and there was one other, I forget who it was. But uh, so uh, he was the only front runner that was running on a medium rear. Everybody else was running on hard rears. And uh, as he says, he, he was doing quite well. He was getting good grip 
but unfortunately the last six laps that was it it was over and it uh, destroyed his rear tire and so he had to settle and was um, Lorenzo and Rossi on the same tires yes very interesting yes generally it was expected that the rear tire would be the one that gives way and and um, and this, this is especially nowadays with them sliding the bikes like they sure sure so it, it was really unusual so you know uh, Lorenzo was making the break Rossi was working his way through to the front Marquez was um, was he was on the ragged edge a lot um, you could see he was also struggling for grip um, and uh, so when Rossi came through, Mar Marquez followed him. And then all of a sudden, they just gobbled up Lorenzo and he started falling back. Lorenzo then got gobbled up by Pedrosa. Took a little bit longer for Vinales to get past him. That gave Pedrosa the breathing space he needed to keep uh, Vinales at bay for the rest of the race. Okay. So allowed him to manage <coughs> his, his rear. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then by the time Vinales got through, then he fell back into the clutches of Andrea Iannone. So crazy Joe, crazy Joe, uh, yes, did what crazy Joe does best. Well, you know the thing is, uh, if you have a look at it, and this is also the other thing. Um, okay, he he closed up on Lorenzo enormously quickly. They went into the corner. He actually had to pull the brake again. You could actually see how the bike hopped before he made contact with Lorenzo, and both of them got skittled off. Okay, that would pay to both of their races. Game over. Um, subsequently, Race Direction saw this as Iannone's fault and he has been demoted to the back of the grid at Assen for the next round. Jorge Lorenzo is unhappy with this and he feels that it should have been a stricter, uh, um, a stricter sanction. Um, sanction and he should have been excluded for one race like he was in 2005. Okay. But the difference between him and 2000, uh, in 2005 and Iannone now is, is that when he was banned for that race in 2005, it was between him and, if I'm not mistaken, Marco Simoncelli. He was banned there for that one race for unsportsmanlike riding. That's very different to what Iannone did. I mean, what Iannone did was not unsportsmanlike. It was a mistake. Um, there's a big difference. but. Yes. The problem that Lorenzo has, he's a superb rider, but his mouth is a lot faster than he is. Yeah. Uh, and and this is, this is, he's making himself unpopular by making statements like this. Go along and have a word with him about it in private. The fact is, is that Iannone can prove and the team can prove they've got the data out there, the telemetry. He braked in the same spot that he normally does. It is maintained that Lorenzo went through that corner considerably more slowly, to the point that Iannone actually asked him after the race, did he have a mechanical problem? Now, Lorenzo sees this as offensive because he should have apologized, and he didn't. But also, you know, Lorenzo seems to not listen to his team, because surely making statements off the cuff reflects badly on the team as well. Same thing that happened with Marquez and Rossi last year. He got involved without the, the team's consultation when he really shouldn't have. It wasn't his, his fight. He was out front. Agreed, yes. Um, he, he shot his mouth off. He made statements that he should not have made. What made it worse was it was against his own teammate. Um, 
So, yeah, and, and this may have even had a big role to play in the fact that Loretta is going through to Ducati next year. I mean, you, there were actually rumors at the end of last year that Yamaha were less than impressed with uh, Loretta's conduct. And this may have had a role to play. I'm not saying that it did, but it's just unusual then all of a sudden that Lorenzo is now signed up with Ducati and is going to race for them from 2017 onwards. Okay, that being what it is. Um, th so, so now we have Rossi up front. We do. Uh, Rossi worked his way through to the front from 8th place, um, where he was initially. So this was a superb fight back, and uh, Marquez was with him. The two of them ran away, and they, they were on their own. And then it came through to the closing stages. In the uh, Marquez made a move, but as soon as he made the move, Rossi would fight back. They had a pretty ding-dong battle going on for the for two to three laps, and then the last lap, Rossi managed to go along and pull out enough of a gap. Uh, Marquez, you could see, was really struggling. Uh, Rossi pulled the pin, and he did enough to go along and win the race. It was the first time that he actually won at Barcelona or at Catalonia uh, since the legendary, I mean, it's still being uh, um, posted many times in social media, that last lap battle between himself and Jorge Lorenzo in 2009. So it was seven years later that he came back to win again. And um, yeah, uh, it, it was a great, great win. It was a clean fight between him and Marquez. And uh, what was really good is, is that they, the two of them went along and shook hands afterwards uh, in Parc Ferme. Uh, they've made their peace. And it looks like they are now um, reconstructing, if you like, their relationship, rebuilding their relationship or friendship and uh, they're prepared to give it a shot. This is good, um, as it's Rossi, good it's good for racing. Rossi himself also went along and said life is too short. Obviously, you know, when you see things like what, the tragedy that happened with Louis Salon over the weekend, uh, this is, uh, it makes little spats like that insignificant. So a mature approach, um, and uh, they, you know, Rossi has now put on his big boy pants as has uh, Marquez, and both have now agreed to put aside their differences. So, uh, yeah. Um, also, one has to go along and say, Paulo Spagro um, came through to finish in fifth position at the first privateer home, and of course, um, uh, his, I think it was I think it was his best result so far this season. But uh, very pleased, obviously, for, for the result that he managed to go along and, 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 and post. So this was really good for him. And... Um, Alvaro Bautista actually on the Aprilia um, he dumped his, his number one machine in free practice four destroyed it they had to switch to the spare bike for qualifying so as a result it was a bit of a disaster for them but uh, Bautista is quite well known for being able to put in fast laps um, in the second half of the race on used rubber and um, while he wasn't exactly setting the world on fire in the first half of the race, the second half of the race, he really started putting in quite a few overtaking moves. And by the last lap, he managed to go along and pass at least two riders to finish in eighth position. So this is uh, Aprilia's best finish in the dry. And um, so uh, Fasa Grassini, I think, was uh, well pleased with, with, with uh, that. Stefan Bridal came through to finish in 12th position. So uh, they... They can be pleased with the, the double points finish, and um, it, it looks promising for them. Particularly the fact that Bautista was lapping at the same pace as the top five riders in the second half of the race. So, hopefully, the the newer 
um, the, the, the newer manufacturers, if you like, um, like Aprilia, like Suzuki. Suzuki are now testing different chassis as well. Uh, we can touch on that now too, is, is the fact that um, Vinales is currently, um, he'd been racing on the old chassis, old chassis, the standard chassis that they've been running. Alex Espargaro decided to switch to the new chassis. You can see the difference in performance. Um, Vinales was streets ahead of of Espargaro. Um, of, uh, they did some testing now this past week, at the beginning of the week. So Vinales is now very happy with the new chassis. And now he's going to take the new chassis through to Arsene. Okay. And he's got to try and run the new chassis at Arsene. He's now very happy with all of a sudden the strides that they've gone and, and made. And this now seems to work for him. But now, I mean, what's the difference between Catalonia and Arsene in terms of circuits, twistiness, straights. Is it Asin, that different or is it is it similar? Asin is more flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely a, a, a lot of flow uh, with regards to Asin. Um, where with Catalonia, I think there's more, there, there's definitely, you would need more straight line speed in places than you would with Asin. Um, and, uh, but Asin, you, you've definitely got to be able to hook it up. Um, if you go along and, and screw up one corner, you lose a lot of time. Okay. So Yamaha or Honda for Asin? Or Ducati? I doubt it will be Ducati. Um, I don't believe Ducati, I mean, unless they... It's fallen a bit off the pace because they were quite fast at the beginning of the year. Well, they're still fast. I mean, Iannone is quick. Um, Dovi, not so quick. He hasn't shown the bursts of speed that you would expect him to. Uh, interestingly, the privateer Ducatis have been particularly impressive. Hector Barbera has been quick. He has shown his turn of speed. Um, Danilo Petrucci now, he, he had an injury. Um, at the beginning of the season, he's now been back for the last three rounds, posted three top ten finishes. So he's showing signs of, of pace. Actually, it was rumored that he might even go along and step in next to Lorenzo for next season and in the work squad. But uh, Dovey has signed up. So um, that that would, that uh, idea has been put to bed. But, I mean, he's still very much favored by Ducati. Um so, yeah, look, I mean, they've got the speed, but I don't believe that they have the agility. And there, look, Marquez and Rossi last year had their little altercation at Assen as well. They fought all the way through to the last corner. So I'm not going to say that Honda will not be up to it. But I still believe that Yamaha have a better handling chassis. So um, it may be kinder on tires. Maybe kind of. In Rossi's of, case, at least. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, look, and in Lorenzo's case too. I mean, Lorenzo is look uh, is 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 a strong racer. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is a rather unusual setup that he had a front tire issue, mm-hmm. but um, I think the 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 difference between the two riders is is that Rossi can try and ride around a problem. I'm not so sure that Lorenzo can. If an issue arises, how well he adapts his riding style to the change in tires, for mm-hmm. instance. So that might be the difference. Um, but I think, yeah, you know, Yamaha will have the handling, but I think Marquez will be there. Um, I would like to say uh, Pedrosa will be there as well, but um, I think he's still trying to gain, regain his confidence. So um, I would expect to see him in about fourth position and then the other three fighting it out at the front. Um, moving through to Moto2. Just 
before we go to Moto 2, what are the standings at the moment in the championship? <laughs> Marquez is now leading the world championship, uh, following uh, Laurentha's DNF, because Laurentha was leading. Um, so uh, Marquez leads the championship, I think, by 10 points from Laurentha. And uh, yeah, Rossi is not far behind. So Rossi is there in third position. I think he's now 21 points behind. So he's um, where he was seemed to be out of out of contention um, and would be going along and just running in third place for the the rest of the year. Um, things have now opened up a little bit. So and this is also another reason why Lorenzo is so upset. Um, with Yanone taking him out is the fact that his advantage is lost. So it's it's now I think between the three of them and there's okay. still and there's still a long way to go. And I think Rossi is now on the rise following them. I mean this was a fantastic victory, mm. and uh, it just indicates that um, the old dog is still definitely on top of his game, and uh, he does not need to rely on other people's bad luck for him to make it through to the front. Mm. He is definitely still at the top of his game, and uh, actually I would say. Now, it's a resurgence, particularly after his slump at Ducati, actually after his injury that he had um, with Yamaha, um, where he fell so badly and he broke his leg so badly. I mean, he went into a slump for a long, long time, and now the last two and a half seasons or so, he's really coming on strong again. And um, last year, well, last year was last year, but he was right up at the top throughout the year. And um, I think now it's a matter of, in terms of, of individual race performances, the, the flashes of sheer genius are mm. still coming through. And he's, he's one of those sportsmen, I'd like to say. Uh, really, when he's, when he's up, he's really up. He's Absolutely. scary up. He's unstoppable. Yeah. And this is pretty much the case. And I think, you know, he has to be a favorite at us. And, um he, he knows he makes it work there and I don't know I think he, he has the he has the finesse and the panache to be able to pull it off we'll see what happens okay. uh, but um, yeah I think he'll be particularly strong there alright uh, just before we step off MotoGP uh, KTM in MotoGP KTM in MotoGP well they've been making a lot of progress um, we have uh, um, Calio, um is, is doing testing Randy Dupunia is doing testing for them Alex the Hoff is uh, Hoffman is doing testing for them and uh, each one is very impressed with the progress that they're making with the, this machine um, so it, it is really coming on uh, along in terms of its handling capabilities. And I'll tell you this, you know, Randy Dupunier is much maligned uh, from this perspective, but he has actually put Suzuki where it is now in terms of the handling chassis. And we know it is one of the better handling chassis on the, uh, on the circuit, and it may not have the power plant, but it definitely has the chassis. Mm -hmm. um, to have him on board uh, going along and doing development work um, along with Hoffman. Hoffman is also no mug on a bike when it comes through to developing. Um, I think the KTM will be quite uh, be, will pose a surprise. I think um, as of next season, mm. do uh, you see top five? No, or not yeah. not maybe yet. Maybe in the in the in the top of the pack. Not yet, because um, the pack's pretty close at the moment, right? There's there's not that much between the other guys. Okay, we've got about the top five that you. Know, top three teams filling out the top five positions but the rest is, is quite bunched up the independents make it interesting mm. um, so even with Tectois um, with the independents you have got Avincia Ducati you've got um, Aspar Ducati um, so these guys are um, also Mark VDS Racing Honda um, they are, are 
making it very interesting and um, so yes it'll be very very close even the uh, Aprilia is in the middle of that lot as well so it's 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 really very close going and I think KTM will find themselves in that bunch to start off with unless they find themselves with a really you know, kick-ass uh, uh, power plant that can pull them clear of that mm. I think you know if Suzuki sh um, chassis wasn't such a good handling machine they would probably find themselves in that group as well uh, because their power plant is not really anything to write home about um, but it is what it is so um, I think Dupunier could have a role to play here particularly with the development of the ha of the chassis and um, maybe maybe even pull KTM clear of that uh, and, and they can uh, be a surprise package in the sense that they could maybe be even going along and dicing Suzuki for position we will see. Okay. So, Moto 2. Well, Moto 2, yeah, it was a really, really tough weekend um, from that perspective. And, uh, but uh, some some very good rides, very interesting rides that came through as well. Um, we saw in qualifying, they actually um, interviewed Tadayuki Okada, um, who used to ride the works Hondas in the, in the, um, well, about 15 or so years ago um, alongside uh, Valentino Rossi mm -hmm. and um, he is now the manager for Taki Nakagami and uh, Nakagami is a very good rider but for some time he has been I don't know I mean he he was running close up to the top he finished a couple of second places last year and then they found his bike to be illegal he got disqualified from one race and he never seemed to find his mojo again after that uh, it's now coming back again slowly but surely and um, Okada reckoned that he could go and um, find a podium for him this weekend daddy knows what he's talking about so uh, it, it was it was really cool to see uh, Nakagami work his way through the field but you know the race was pretty much dominated by Alex Rins and uh, Johan Zarco mm. and uh the two of them pulled the gap on everybody else. Everybody else was just left standing, okay. really. Um, then you got to see the likes of Nakagami and Tom Luti, um, and uh, um, and I keep going along and mispronouncing the Malaysian's name, um, Haitian. <laughs> I don't even try. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, he's also coming on strong as well. So there was a big battle there for the minor places. Luti had been running in third place for much of the race and then he just seemed to fade I think also again with uh, tyre issues and uh, he faded back then uh, to finish uh, in sixth position I think he'll be a little bit disappointed with that because I think third place was pretty much in the bag um, he tried to hold on to, to Zarko and runs at the, at the beginning but he just didn't have the pace and you know he kept it solid in third position and then eventually he just fell back so Tom finished in sixth place, but I think more points in the bag for him. I mean, he's still there in the top three in the championship, so he can't really. You know, he, he'll be happy enough, but he won't be ecstatic. Sure. I think uh, uh, Domi uh, Dominic Agata will be more unhappy because uh, he qualified 14th, so he was really he was struggling, but he had worked his way through nicely. He was running in the top 10, and. It looked like his rear wheel failed. Okay. 
it was weird because then they showed, they went along and they flashed the thing over to his bike. They said he had crashed, but there wasn't a mark on him. There wasn't a mark on the bike, but the hub was gone. Okay, so it's so seized the, the bottom and the bottom. I mean, the bike had, it looked like it had bottomed out. Okay, and uh, the tire was there, but the spokes were gone. Maybe the swing arm failed. Oh, I don't know. If the swing arm failed, I think he would have really hurt himself. So anyway, I mean, the fact is, is that seeing something like that is kind of scary. Mm. Um, and Dommy was standing there next to the machine and he walked away from it. So I think we yeah. can all breathe a sigh of relief there. I do think that he's probably also feeling still the effects of his big fall last year. I think he's yeah. getting better. Trying I mean, he's, working, his, he's yeah. working on his strength. And uh, what is nice is, is the Swiss Mafia. Um, so that is... Uh, um, the likes of uh, Robin Mulhauser as well as uh, Domi and uh, Yeski and um, and Tom they're working together they're working hard together they exercise together they you know mm -hmm. they play you know ride bikes and all that kind of thing as well so uh, it's nice to see that these guys are, are supporting each other in the Moto2 class um, you know from race to race and I think this is also helping Domi try and regain his strength. I mean, yeah, he's probably not at 100% yet. Uh, yeah, a hard fall. It was a big one. Was, and, and I think even though people are competitive, it's still built sort of into the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. and, and like you say, even with Rossi, with the great Rossi, it happened after a bad fall. Mm -hmm. That it takes time to, to get out of that. and. And just find your mojo again, mm -hmm. uh, because last year at the beginning, Domi was really competitive. Mm -hmm. uh, not necessarily the fastest, but he was really one of the most competitive guys on the track. Absolutely, absolutely. It was look. I mean, it was the accident that went along. It, it messes with your mind, mm. and it does. Uh, you know, you have to regain your your strength physically, but uh, um, mentally is is actually probably a bigger hurdle to climb. Mm. Uh, because you start to doubt yourself but I mean uh, these guys are strong they uh, some of them don't always recover from it from a mental perspective but particularly with the likes of Domi I mean they're young so I mean they can really they can bounce back from this and Domi is bouncing back from this he's, he's just having a little bit of bad luck on the way and in terms of chassis in Moto2 now it's just Calix yeah. uh, so, so, you know, so really that's where we've ended up yeah it, Kalex and Speed Up, um, Speed Up have a couple of riders on the on the grid, but the Suta is gone, mm. and it's tragic. I mean, they won the first Moto Two World Championship with Tony Elias. Um, you know, they they were fantastic machines. This is Suta five hundred that was going a five hundred cc two stroke. We saw it at the bike show, mm. and it it ran at the Isle of Man this year. It sounded absolutely phenomenal. So I mean, they make fantastic machines. And I just find it kind of tragic that um, it, they're not. They they decided to go along or withdraw from uh, Motor Two this season. It's they had it. just not enough business. Well, this is it. it. That's exactly what it was. The interest in the chassis. Um, I think they only had at the beginning of the season two entrants or three entrants that was prepared to run with the new chassis that they did. I mean, it's new design. It's been built in the whole works, and they decided that this was not enough for them, and they pulled the plug. It's a shame. It really is a shame because um, uh, Iskul Suta really does an awesome job. He has done over the years. I really hope that they decide to come back um, and um, and and uh, provide some some spectacle. Because I mean, he even did some work in MotoGP and 500cc racing, and uh, you know, came up with chassis designs and the like. So uh, you know, 
he has a name and uh, I'd like to see that return um, to World Championship Racing. So um, the race then in the Moto2 was not as exciting. It was basically, a, but it was very well calculated between Zarco and Rince. Um, Rince was leading for most of the way and then Zarco pounced with seven laps to go. But he decided it was time for him to pull the pin and he systematically then just started lapping faster and faster and faster and pulled the gap on uh, Alex Rins to win by four seconds. Okay. So a really good win for him. Rins still leads the World Championship, Zarko second. Um, and then, like I said, Nokogami came along and finished on the podium. So that was a really good result for him as well. So, uh, But it, it's going to be interesting still to see um, Zarko has really shown... His maturity as a rider, he has the speed, but not only that, he he, he is a thinking rider. Mm -hmm. um, he's, he's almost like the professor of Moto2 racing, if you like, that um, he actually works on a, a strategy and then utilizes it accordingly. I'm actually quite surprised at the amount of strategy in Moto2, especially. <coughs> I mean, really watching all three races, one after the other, after the free-for-all, that's Moto3 that we'll get to now. Moto2 really is a thinking man's race at the moment. Predominantly because of the fact that there are like 25 Kalexes on the grid. Sure. Uh, and they run all run with CBR 600 motors. And that, that's where it ends. I mean, now it's, uh, it's up to the team that, uh, for the preparation. And um, I mean, these, these machines and the engines, um, are, it, it's like it's, it's a lucky draw. You know, it's you're not allowed to work on the motor. You're not allowed to open it. Okay. So you get allocated an engine. There's your engine. Thank you very much. You can go along and use it. You know, and it's it's luck of the draw. Um, mm. So generally, I mean, these motors are all very solid. Um, I don't think that. I mean, obviously, one is not easily better than the other, and um, it's literally, you know, um, to ensure equality. This mm. is the engine. You pull a number. That's the one you take. And yet you still get the real talent pulling out ahead. This is the thing. It's it's also a matter of teams. Um, you know, it's it's all teamwork, right? So it's it's a matter of how the machine is prepared. And, I mean, there are some of these guys that are, I mean, um, that are really, really, they have fantastic engineers. They have fantastic uh, uh, mechanics and, and, and uh, chief mechanics and and, and um, everybody playing together as a team. Um, some teams are bigger than others. I think this has a big role to play as well um, because they, they have more experience. And also experience has a big role to play here. The more experienced you are and the more experienced your team is and the, the people that you have around you, the bigger your chance of going along and performing. And of course, if you have the, uh, if you have the talent, yeah, well then obviously that's gonna carry with you. Yeah. Okay, switching to Moto3. Well, <laughs> up the binders. Up the binders. Yeah, actually, up the binders. Because uh, I'll tell you, actually, one of the stars of the race was young Darren Binder. He is on a, a Mahindra. And it's actually interesting because um, I, uh, Sheridan Marias has actually commented on this. Uh, he was also at uh, uh, Circuit of the Americas, so he actually saw the Binders ride, and he says, the f you know, the way Darren is actually riding that machine is insane. Um, he is doing things with that bike that should not be possible. 
Okay. And uh, so it is, he is literally, the bike is definitely not up to the talent of Darren. And I mean, Binder was doing some amazing things a couple of rounds ago where he was pulling that machine up into the top 10. Okay, he fell, unfortunately, and the bike washed out from under him. But the fact is, is that he, that's how hard he's pushing. That's how hard he's really hauling this machine around. And um, he's, he's hardly on works machinery by any means. And um, you know, the fact that he's hustling this, uh, this machine up there and he managed to come through to finish in 12th position in this race. So uh, really kudos to him, hats off to him. And I think this will be a really big confidence booster. And I think uh, hopefully this will get, get people to sit up and take notice. But uh, yeah, so um, the, the battle up front uh, was a particularly interesting one. Um, uh, unfortunately we got to see uh, Nicola Antonelli go along and drop it again um, he's very very fast but he has a tendency of putting it down from time to time mm -hmm. and uh, uh, because I mean he, he won the first race of the season in Qatar uh, but since then he hasn't really done much um, but the person that I always thought would be the one to go along and win this race was Jorge uh, Navarro mm -hmm. Um, he was blindingly quick and you know they have a tendency of mugging each other so he goes along and he leaves and then all of a sudden at the end of the straight he comes out and he's in fourth position and then he gets yeah. pushed out wide he drops to fifth place by the end of the lap he's up front again yeah and it's almost in, in Moto3 it's never a one bike pass if no. you get passed you get passed by three or four people exactly um, if you're at the wrong place at the wrong time this is this can very much happen um, particularly if you're in the lead and you get slipstreamed I mean then it's toast uh, and he had a tendency of always managing to come back with ease. So to see him up at the front was to be expected. And um, so he was he was always there. Nicola Bolega, another hot hot shot uh, kid that was also very much in the mix. He was also very um, very strong. Romana Fanati was very strong as well. Of course, Brad Binder. Um, he was definitely up in the mix over there and um, actually between uh, I think between uh, from from what I could see I was expecting to see the battle go on between Navarro and Binder uh, Navarro had the speed but Binder has the tenacity and he also that young man is using his head mm, definitely he is not going along and riding with the seat of his pants anymore um, like all these other kids are. And I think this is what's making the big difference between him and the and, and where he is in the World Championship at the moment. Uh, 